My name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Hello and welcome back to the KingCast. My name is Scott Wampler. And I'm Eric Vespi. And we are your hosts. We are joined today by a guest who has brought us uh, one of the titles that I don't know if it's most requested, but it keeps coming up over and over and over again. So we uh, talk to people as one of the, the very first Stephen King books or, or movies that they uh, ingested. I guess I can say, which is Cujo. You know our guest is the Saturn Award-winning actor who's appeared in such films as Idle Hands, Casper, SLC Punk. I I fucking love SLC Punk, by the way. And the original Final Destination. 90s kids and Twitter enthusiasts will recognize him as the original Stan from the 2000 Eminem video of the same name. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the KingCast stage, Mr. Devin Sabah. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing really good. Uh, yeah, enjoying I, the quarantine and whatnot. I'm enjoying. I'm getting through some more King books and other books, all sorts of books. I've been. You're a big reader. I am a big reader, and, and fortunately, this, this quarantine has actually slowed the reading down a tad because there's, you know, the kids are home. There's no school. There's no, you know, we're we're essentially the school, so I haven't been going through as much books. But yeah, I try to I try to read. I try to read as much as I can. Try to read as much as I think you read more than I do, and I have a podcast where I'm supposed to be reading. Like you're you're juggling titles. I saw on uh, on Twitter the other day that that you were reading through a, a few things. Yeah, yeah. Right now, what am I reading now? I'm reading uh, I'm reading the new Trump book. I, I put uh, <laughs> I put everything down to read that new Trump book. Just to, it's it's entertaining. It's an entertaining read. I I, I heard it's I heard it's more of a pamphlet than a book. It's very it's short. Very short. It's 200 pages with a 15 page uh glossary and index and this and that. i mean it's the, the printing the print is super big it's like one of those books are like wow they look at the space between each line and the letters are gigantic and it's like okay very trump you know she's definitely got that trump blood in her um but it's 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 <laughs> it's a wild read so far it's like these people are running our country this is nutty um wild shit wild shit man wild shit What's your Stephen King origin story? How did you how did you come to to King? So I got into King late. I I only got into King a couple of years ago, and I've already done you know somewhere between somewhere between twenty and thirty of his books. But I got I was I was off in Bulgaria doing a movie, and I was doing a lot of walking because I had some some downtime, and I thought I'd get an audio book, and I ended up getting uh, uh, a Pet Cemetery. And listen to the auto book. And I, and I, for the longest time, I was like, oh, I'm King, man. It's a little too mainstream. And, you know, I, I like to, mm-hmm. you know, Charles Bukowski, you know, I like to re- like read the wild, weird stuff. But um, after reading the uh, Pet Cemetery, I was like, wow, this is, this is actually, you know, it's, it's a lot different than watching a King movie. Not that King movies are bad. I love King movies, but he's, um, he's phenomenal. And then I just started reading them. I, I went to, you know, 11, 2263 in Elevation and, and then to, you know, started, you know, did the, uh, the Shining and just started back to back reading all these books. And, and now I'm just addicted to them. Um, I just, I think that's the, I, I'm sorry to interrupt. That's the first, uh, elevation mention on the show i think it, i i listened to the audiobook of that yeah. recently that that thing is good as hell it's, it's like i it's good it's i it's, loved it 
it's good that I read eleven twenty two sixty three right after listening to um, Pet Cemetery because that kind of that was the nail in the coffin that I was going to start going through his books. Mm-hmm. If I had done Elevation right after, I'm like, yeah, all right, you know, it's good, it's That's entertaining. Fair. That's fair. Um, but eleven twenty two sixty three is one of my one of my favorites. Um, you know, he goes off on his Stephen King rants for you know fifty pages at a time, and it's and it's enjoyable and it's great. I don't know. But yeah. Have you fucked with the Dark Tower at all? I, I've been slowly collecting vintage copies of the Dark Tower in different cities I work. So I went off the pit to, um, to where did I go first? I went to Winnipeg and got a couple there, Portland and got a couple there, a couple in Mansfield, Ohio. And I'm one book shy of the whole collection. And that's when I'll sit down and start reading. But that's the, oh, I've, man. I've been through. But that's I, awesome. Yeah. So I got a vintage one from every little, I write the, the name, like this one's from here, this one's from there. And so they're, they're those, they're the old ones with the, with the pictures inside the middle and they're, they look very eighties. And, and so I'm kind of yeah. trying to collect all of those ones and then, and then I'll go through it. Um, and for the longest time, I was I, I promised myself I wouldn't read The Stand. That was it. That was the benchmark of Stephen King. Like he's, I know this one's going to be mm-hmm. the best. It's going to be my favorite. So I'm going to read this one last. And I did that for like the longest time, and then I caved and read it. And man, oh man, what a book! <laughs> Are you collecting? Have you saved it? Do you have it? I I don't know if I want to read it. That's that's I'm on the fence with it. I just feel like I auditioned for the '90s version of the movie. I've seen that one so many times. Like there's so much it in me. Like I just I don't know if I could read it and not be distracted with all they've already crammed down my throat with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, they have you know two pretty successful versions of it now. It's probably reasonable to expect that in another 10, 15 years there'll be another one. Yeah. Um, they'll do another one. Uh, so maybe. I don't know. Maybe there's a role for you in there. Yeah. You know, maybe there. Maybe hope I, is not launched yet. I was close. I was close. I auditioned for the the new one as well for the uh, the guy in the psych ward, um, and it was very close. Between oh, Henry, oh Bowers? Henry Bowers. Yeah, the older wow. version of him. Yeah, I was I was up for that, but you know, <laughs> you know, the other guy got it, and so would have been. So that's why I can't read the damn book, man. I'm just done with it. Um, Did you watch the movies? I loved the movies. I thought they were great. Yeah, I, I had nothing to compare it to though. It's it's crazy because after I read Misery, I was like, "Holy shit! They they really uh, they really toned it down in the movie." Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and they they pretty much went balls out on it, chapter one and two, like the two feature films. Yeah. I feel like they pretty much captured it. There's uh, there's some detours in there that didn't make it on screen, yeah. including a a couple that you just absolutely could not film without you know you know getting sued. I heard a bit for some sort of child like. Wow. Gang bang. Yeah, that's what I. That, yes, that's, that's very that unfortunate. You, your mind went there. My mind went like, oh, because they used. I was a teenage werewolf. They use every monster, like everything that is in it, like fucking Jaws is in it. You know, since Pennywise can turn into anything, and it he, he turns into uh, whatever your fears are. Like in the book, like fifty percent of the fears are, you know, movie related. You know, yeah, no shit. Yeah. yeah. So I I remember there was talk when the new movies came out and they you know, had up the time difference from, from like the, the sixties to the Mm eighties that there was talk of, of people going like, Oh, do you think that they're going to bring in like eighties horror movie monsters like Freddy Krueger and, and, uh, you know, Jason Voorhees and stuff like that. And, and, uh, you know, I think it was a smart decision not to, but it it would be a fascinating take on it. Plus there's also a, a really creepy section that, that uh, is in a big, uh, standpipe, that is uh, uh, hasn't been adapted for any of the the movies so far mm-hmm. that I'd love to see. Hmm. Plus all the racial shit. They didn't get into the black spot. the The original yeah. draft of that, uh, like that, Kerry Fukunaga wrote, has uh, a sequence set in the black spot that is 
fucking unreal. And like, you know, this guy comes in and like he he uh, sees Pennywise like sitting at a piano in this bar. And like the more he plays on the piano, like the, the angrier and more violent everyone in the bar gets. Oh, man, see, and eventually I, like I got to read it. It's, you got, yeah. There's so much like that. You got you're like it sounds like there's so much I'm missing out on still. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And that's like a thousand pages long. So you're definitely missing out on a few things. Yeah. But you have brought us uh, today. You have brought us Cujo, which yeah. is a very interesting choice. Why did you bring us Cujo? Cujo is one of the first movies I've ever watched. I saw the list. I saw it wasn't on the list. It's one of his most iconic books. I think I think it comes up all the time, uh, Cujo. And it's a great book. It's a really good book. Fair enough. And the movie, which I watched last night for the first time in, God, 25 years, maybe longer, um, yeah. holds up. It's a great, uh, it's a great movie. And I didn't know there's a, there's an SLC punk tie in actually the, uh, the cinematographer is a Jan DeBont on yeah. Cujo and, oh, he, shit. and he produced, uh, SLC punk and I didn't Man. know that. So there you go. I did. Well, I didn't know, uh, DeBont produced SLC punk. That's awesome. Yeah. He was the, one of the producers, very vocal producer too, on the show too. That guy's everywhere. Yeah. Eric, what can you tell us about the book? Let's, let's talk about uh, the Well, I, I can tell you a little bit of personal stuff, um, you know, just in terms of where it fits into his uh, oeuvre, <laughs> his bibliography. This was published in September of 81, which would make it the first King book that came out after I was born. Uh, I was a February 81 baby, and uh, it was also the first book that I read. Uh, I've told the story a couple of times on the podcast, so please forgive me, constant listeners, but uh, I decided to read Stephen King because my mom had a paperback copy of Cujo and it had the, the snarling dog snout on it. And, uh, and I remember it very vividly uh, and it, that cover grabbing me. And so I was in sixth grade and I decided I was going to read it because I had seen the movie and I'm like, okay, this is really cool because I can read an adult book because uh, I've seen the movie. So I'll know who all the characters are when they're mentioned. I, you know, I'll have, be able to picture in my mind, you know, based on the association I have with the film. And uh, of course, you know, it's, it's real difficult to, uh, to predict that the book is half uh, a fair melodrama and uh, yes. before all the, the scary dog stuff happens. Uh, when I think of that cover, I flashed to sitting in my sixth grade class and hiding my copy of, of the paperback in my pencil case, mm. which it was just big enough to fit the paperback um, just cause I thought I would get in trouble because it was, you know, Stephen King was the scary adult horror guy. And I, I, th- I thought I'd get in trouble. Yeah. And I'm reading it. Unlike the movie, there, there's some parts in the book that are, I mean, when he comes on the bed and, and all that, yeah. you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? They're, the they're, most memorable thing in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah. It's, it's, uh, they left a lot of that stuff out in the movie. Um, it's like they left t- two of the three st- major stories from the book were left out in right. the movie. There was a lot more to do with the with the um, the serial and the uh, all that stuff, <laughs> yeah. and uh, a lot more to do with the with the I guess the affair, which got right. left out a lot. Yeah, you you've reread it uh, recently, right, Devin? And then I I, I listened to the uh, audiobook mm-hmm. going through it this time. Yep. Uh, who, which was narrated by the lady that played uh, the witch and dragged me to hell, by the way, which is really cool. Oh, cool! Oh um, no shit! Uh, and uh, I didn't realize that, but I'm like, who's this voice? And, you know, it's like this kind of like gravelly older woman voice, and you know, would made it all the the awkward, you know revenge sperm on the on yeah. the mattress you know stuff even weirder when there's like a truck driving grandma voice reading it to you right. <laughs> uh, but, but uh my uh 
the thing that really struck me on this, he, my memory from from my read, because I don't think I read it since I was in sixth grade. Mm. Um, but my memory, the thing that always stuck out to me, if you're listening to this, you should already know that uh, that we spoil the shit out of everything we're talking about, was how much I was blindsided by Tad Trenton, the little boy, not making it at the end. Yeah. Um, and because I watched the movie, he survives in the movie yeah. and, and the, it goes exactly the same way in the book, you know, where she's rest, you know, trying to resuscitate him. Yeah. And in the movie she succeeds and yay, you know, the family's reunited and they can go off and, and, uh, you know, enjoy their lives together and, and, uh, everybody's Dog happy, but lives. in the book, you know, she's trying to resuscitate him and she's going for minutes and minutes and I'm going, wake up, wake up, wake yeah. up. Why? And he doesn't. And they and, have to drag and, her like, off. They had the, 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 and they do. Yeah. They, the police and the paramedics, they drag her off and she's, you know, and he dies. That's why it, when I saw the movie last night for the first time and, and at the end, I was like, come on, he can't live. What's, what's, what's going on here? Um, right. People were mad about that, though, at the yeah. at the time. Like, uh, critics were like, oh, they changed the ending. Yeah. You know, this doesn't make sense. It was, it was but so- I, I think that I think the ending is more effective. And it's it's more horrific if if the kid does die. 100%. You know, there, there's a core thing at, at the center of the, you know, the 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 woman and the, her son trapped in a car and the salvation. She can see it. It's just if she can just get through the door that's 20 feet away and there's a phone in there and that will save mm-hmm. them. Right. It, it is being trapped on a desert island and sharks are circling, but there's a, a lifeboat filled with water, you know, you know, yeah. just just on the other side. Like you can see it. Uh, one of the things that I always like kind of question about myself when I hear about these people that like survive for 20 days after a plane crash on a mountain or whatever. And th- there's always a point in that where they make a decision to, to save themselves. Right. And, and I always fear that if I was ever in that situation that I would freeze up and kind of do what she does is she just try tries to wait it out, wait and see, wait and see. And the longer that she does that, the weaker she gets and the, less likely she, she is to help her and her kid. And uh, by by having her be punished for that, you know, in, in a way, but, you know, her indecision comes back to, you know, to bite her, you know, literally, it, you know, it's like she's, it, I mean, it's not indecision. She's making a calculated judgment of like, oh, the mailman will come. Somebody will surely yeah. come. And there's, if I die out there, then my son's going to die in here. Like, you know, so it's better to play it safe. Yeah. And that, that, ter- that, that concept terrifies me because I don't know, I'd like to think that I would be the guy that would take the risk and, and, you know, crawl through, you know, 20 miles of brush to, to, to find the highway or whatever. But, you know, I, I kind of have a feeling like if it was me, I would be stricken with indecision right. and that I would rather play it safe. Cause you're told so often, uh, you know, as a kid, like if you get lost, stay in one spot, you know, it's like that, that is, that is the way to, to be safe. And so like, I, I would have all that running in my mind, but like that grabbed me as a kid, that whole concept. And then the fact that, that the kid dies, at the end and the the last 20 or so pages are you know really fascinating because it's all about this family that was breaking up that was you know dissolving before our eyes kind of coming together again at the end and, and resolidifying in the face of the tragedy but nothing's the same you know it the last 20 pages is them dealing with as parents the loss of their their son right i think that your opinion of this is warped just as mine is because neither one of us have kids Right. Could be. My understanding is that when you have kids and you see your own child for the first time, it just it fundamentally rewires your brain and everything sort of changes like your priorities suddenly 
turnover, right? Yeah. And and Devin, you have you have a couple of kids, so yeah, like, I feel like I'm curious is having how- kids like you, you all of a sudden do super things at, at the weirdest times. If there's you know if there's some sort of danger or something, all of a sudden this this you know you're able. I don't know. I, I may have run for that door. I, I don't know. I don't know. I would have definitely run for the door. I think just because of the kids. Just because now now that I have kids, I probably without the kids I would have waited it out. But with kids, I probably would have made it to the door. Um, one of the other things I really liked about it is that the, in the in the book the the dog was deteriorating as well as as her. Right. You know what I mean. Whereas in the movie the dog was the same throughout the whole thing. Whereas the dog was fading just like with the heat without water with you know it was fading with her and and getting weaker as the end was coming just like mm-hmm. her. Yeah, I think they even make a point in the book to say that like if she had tried for the door at the beginning. Uh, it wasn't the same as her trying for the door at the end uh, because Cujo was also at that point hurt. And, you know, the rabies had was breaking him down from the inside out. And, and yeah, so, so it's very possible that, you know, she, she would have ended up dead and then her son would have still succumbed to the heat stroke and dehydration in the car. Right. You know, I, I, I've rewatched the movie now twice in the, in the past 48 hours. I had not seen it like Devin since I was a very young, and so it was essentially new to me. Yeah. And I, you know, on first viewing, I was, I was blown away by how good it was. Yeah. Me too. It's, it's way better than, than I remember it. Yeah. It's, it's so solid and like, it's just really well executed. Yeah. I hadn't seen it for a while. One of the things I thought when I was, I was like, okay, I'm going to watch this movie. They're going to have some guy in a dog costume. It's going to be horrible effects. It's going to, you know, it, it would have worked back then in the eighties, but now uh, it's probably going to be really cheesy, but it wasn't that way at all. They did a fantastic job. Whatever they did, you know, it was, a lot, it was all practical, mostly, except for, you know, the dog's head slamming into the car a couple of times. But they, they, it, it was believable and it worked. And some of the some of the camera shots and some of the lighting mm-hmm. is some of the stuff they're trying to recreate now and things like, you know, Stranger Things and, and all these, mm-hmm. you know, th- these movies where they're trying to bring back that 80s look. And it, it just, I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was just, great and it's really underrated and i can't believe more people don't talk about it nowadays how how about that crazy 360 shot that happened awesome. in, in the car Fucking awesome bananas. yeah yeah bananas yeah awesome yes yon de bon the first time i watched it my my wife uh we we built like a uh basically a private movie theater in our backyard mm-hmm. but a screen and a 4k projector and all that shit you know, so we'll have people over like uh, just a couple of people and everyone's going to sit like 10 feet apart because right. we're we're living in COVID times and all that shit. But it's like our attempt to sort of recapture the uh, theatrical experience while all this bullshit is happening. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she had a friend over and they were watching. Uh, I don't remember what they, they were watching, but they were outside. And so I was inside with the dogs and the dogs were outraged that they could not go outside in the backyard while this was going on. Right. So I'm sitting in the in the in the bedroom watching the movie and there were multiple points within the movie in particular during the you know scenes where the dog was just attacking the car and the kids fucking screaming D Wallace is freaking out the dog is just like it drove my fucking dogs insane like they started like fighting each other and shit and they don't do that like period um it was it was wild I was kind of blown away to rewatch those sequences and, and particularly that sort of centerpiece scene where Cujo is, is uh, attacking her in the car. And 
it goes on for minutes where the kid is screaming. She's upset. The dog is barking minutes, not like not like 30 seconds worth of footage, but like five full fucking minutes. The level of intensity in those scenes is the the thing I kept thinking about was the opening of Saving Private Ryan. Oh, yeah. Where there's just people getting fucked on all sides, but also like they're screaming and it's chaos and mm-hmm. like it really is that level of intensity. It's it's gnarly. You know, I'll say it's it's in a weird way. It's it's more realistic than the opening of Saving Private Ryan, primarily because I'm a thousand percent sure that Danny Pintaro is fucking terrified for real. Like he yes. really thinks he's going to die. You want yeah. especially that very first attack scene. Like, you know, maybe Devin can can, you know, talk a little bit about this since he was a, a you know, a child actor as well. Mm. But like. You know, I think he was six in this movie, and there's only so much that you can explain to a six-year-old six. about how, how this is fake. You know, I, I and, was actually thinking about that a lot. The kid did a phenomenal job, and I'm wondering if there was a little bit of trickery going on between, you know, like if they made that kid – because he was crying. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm believing this. This is – this is that's, that's it, it was for me. real. I mean – Yeah, and so I'm wondering if they, they kept him up a little too long and, and said some things <laughs> to him. I tri- I don't know. I mean, this, it was the 80s. It, it was the Wild West back then. Um, they did some cr- They worked us a lot of hours back then. I don't know. I think that Danny Pintaro was probably actually terrorized. Yeah. During the, I, the there's a few shots that I'm, I'm 100% sure. Uh, yeah, you can tell when a when a kid like listen. I love I love The Shining to death, and Kubrick is a master. You can tell that that Danny Lloyd when he's scared, he he's movie scared. Right. Yep. Right. It's like you, you can tell that that he's, you know, he's not personally traumatized. There's a few moments in there when you can tell that kid isn't he's not having a tantrum. He's like re, he's jumping and reacting and the tears are obviously real. They're not the super clear movie tears. You know, they got that like dirty, salty tear, you know, look on them. You know, they're real. And, you know, I, I just I know that they really they fuck this kid up yeah. a little bit. And I'd love to talk to him and at some point and see, you know, just what his recollection of all that stuff that is. That would be so interesting. Out. Devin, did you have any unexper- uh, unpleasant experiences working as a as a child actor? No, like, did you ever feel I'm, like you were put into a situation you shouldn't have been in? Well, listen, when, when I first started, when I was, you know, eight or nine and I was working in Canada. Um, yeah, there was there was some rules that were probably horrible for children back then. There was, you know, 18 hour days on commercials and stuff like that. But other than that, man, I, I, I'm one of those child actors that, that I just got nothing but good memories. I mean, all the, all the, I worked with some of the biggest, you know, I've worked with Spielberg twice. I've worked, you know, everywhere from universal to Warner brothers to like the smallest little indie movies. And mm-hmm. it's just been overall a great experience for me. My, my crazy years were, you know, in my twenties when, when, you know, I hit the LA club scene. Um, but that was just a couple of years. But other than that, man, my childhood was, I, I, I had a blast. It was, uh, yeah, I was going to say you're kind of blessed. Scott didn't touch upon it in the intro, but it, I did notice that you got paid multiple times as, as a young man to, uh, kiss Christina Ricci. So that's not, not too bad. Of a, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I love a run. She, yeah. I, I, it was, it was a great childhood. It was a great childhood. <laughs> well, no terrifying dogs is what you're saying. No terrifying dogs, just football movies. And well, you know, I, Wild America, which was 20 years after Cujo was made, we were using dudes in bear costumes and it didn't look good at all. So uh, prop, <laughs> props to Cujo for doing it, doing it well. I think that w- one interesting element of Cujo is that, you know, early in King's run, or at least early in, in my experience with King, 
the thing I always heard about him was this is a guy who takes universal fears mm-hmm. and turns them into horror stories, yeah. which, you know, then then become movies. Right. This one is particularly interesting because it's very primal and very, um, very universal, I think, is this idea of a fear of dogs. I have I have three dogs and I have I have like some of my best friends are fucking terrified of dogs. Right. You know, and they haven't even necessarily had unpleasant experiences with them. They're just afraid of what they might do. I'm curious if either one of y'all have ever had an unpleasant experience with a dog. Yeah, me personally, uh, no, but my my brother was, my little brother when he was like four or five was uh, bitten on the face by a, uh, a neighborhood pit bull, oh, wow. which uh, was very scary. He, he kind of had that, that thing that Stan has in it, chapter one where he has that like ring of teeth marks around his face. Mm. That, yeah. that was my brother like at four or five years old with, with that pit bull. Oh, wow thing uh and of course my mom's uh, well it was a a neighbor's pit who was very protective but we had kind of gotten on his good side and we'd like we'd get him like mcdonald's dollar you know uh burgers or whatever and we'd give them to him and he liked him and for just for whatever reason tony my little brother approached him at one point and he just wasn't having it and he just he, he did that sideways bite you know he just turned his head sideways and just you know clamped down uh luckily he he did the one bite and then you know he didn't shake or you know refused to let go he, and he let go right away but like what was crazy is that that would have been enough to uh put him down but my mom being such a huge animal lover she never even reported it um because she didn't want you know to because she knew if she did that a pit bull that had bit a child would be problem you know would be put to sleep mm. oh yeah um, totally there's still, a there's I a mean, lot can, of anti-pitbull sentiment out there yeah, I, I own, I, you know, I owned a, a pit lab mix. You know, that was my childhood dog. And he, you know, he was sweet as can be. He, he nipped, he nipped my girlfriend once though, um, because she, this is like right when we first started dating and we were kind of lying on the couch together and she was on, on top of me and she, the protective instincts went in and he like nipped her, nipped her leg. And then yeah, at that point, that was like the most aggressive that he ever got though. He was like the sweetest dog. Yeah. It's, it's all about the upbringing of a dog, you know, the, 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 the environment and how they're how the people around it. I mean, right. you can have a nasty chihuahua with the wrong owners, you know? <laughs> totally yeah the dog like, the dog that bit my brother was because like um in the neighborhood i grew up in there was a family that lived like three or four doors down my mom used to go jogging in this neighborhood one night she came home and the dog had uh there was there was a dog that lived in that house and it was like a fucking uh, like a wiener dog you know the least threatening dog you can imagine like if a like a like if a wiener dog is coming at you, you could straight up <laughs> pump that dog you know <laughs> yeah. into the next fucking neighborhood if you wanted to but Maybe that's, you know, you, me or anyone else talking right now. But my mom was, you know, kind of freaked out. She's like running up the street and uh, this dog was out in the front yard and it started chasing her up the block and like bit her fucking on the ankle. Mm. And she described it as completely terrifying. Even at the time I was like, but it's a wiener dog. Like, why didn't you, <laughs> why didn't you just like kick him to the side? But in retrospect, I'm sort of like, I get it. Like if you're being chased by another creature. Like, I guess it's, I guess it's probably pretty alarming. Yeah. And I have another friend who, uh, like, uh, he bartended with a guy and he like dropped that guy off one night, uh, to his house from work. And he, he came in there to like take a leak or something while he was there. He had been warned, like, you know, don't pet the fucking dog. Like the dog is just, you know, he's not socialized. He's, he's not great with strangers. So my friend walked into the house and the first thing he does is he crouches down and like went to pet for the dog and it just fucking bit him on the face. 
And I would imagine that would be like, you know, whether you're my mom jogging through a neighborhood or this guy getting bit in the face, you know, dropping off a buddy from work. I, I, I imagine that's terrifying in an elemental way. Well, yeah, there's there's also just the the little bit of trauma that that happens when that happens. It's like, you know, totally. I, I was in a, a car accident when I was a teenager. My mom was driving and somebody ran a red light and in, in, uh, in front of us and we like clipped his end and it was like paramedics were called. It was it like I'd sprained my ankle, but, you know, nothing life threatening. But, you know, that for the first like two or three months driving after that, you know, whether I was in a car, you know, or I was driving, you know, I just got paranoid and very specifically at green lights. I'd always make sure, you know, I would slow down approaching an intersection, making sure that nobody was punching through the light. There's just something that that flips on when you're when you're hurt like that uh, flips on in your mind. And so I, I understand why people who have been, you know, either bit or attacked or chased by a dog would then forever have trust issues. Yeah, yeah um, totally. That's why I, but, I, I wonder why Kuju wasn't bigger than it is right now because you know there was the, the jaws created this fear with sharks it was so well done and, and cujo i mean we see more dogs than we do sharks and it was you know i, I i'm just so surprised that it didn't that it's not more talk it's not people don't talk about it more you know i, I will say that like jaws like even people you know 40 years later you can they'll they'll see a shark fin or they'll go fishing or something and they'll make a jaws joke or they'll call the shark jaws right um and cujo is kind of a similar thing like cujo's become yeah just the name itself if you've never read it or seen it or anything like if somebody says cujo you know that's supposed to mean a bad dog yeah. like a, yeah, a, totally. a big big mean dog iconic um, in that way right and right. And, and, an, and an interesting little fact is that cujo the name apparently king was inspired by uh, the name or the code name message, uh, uh, should say, uh, one of the kidnappers in the uh, Patty Hearst case, who was named Cujo. I guess that's where he got the name. There's a reference in the book of why the I, th- I believe there's a reference in the book. They didn't they didn't name it for for a whole till the following spring. There was a reference in the book of why he named it Cujo. Can't remember what it was. Yeah, I don't remember either. But I know there is it's a, a ref- specific but- name though. Like like I don't I've never met someone named Cujo. It's the the Hitler's mustache of dog names. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like like it just there's only one of those, and in my mind, it's always been Cujo's the big fucking Saint Bernard, or the joke name you give like a Chihuahua or yeah, something, right? Because of that. But it, but even then, you're playing on the expectation of a of a big 100 you know, yeah. the name that comes with Cujo. I kind of well, I have speak- a Chihuahua uh, mix named Conan, and I sort of named yeah, him for the, for the same reasons. Yeah, for Conan O'Brien. I appreciate it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's a very tall man. Now, um, mm. one thing that I, I w- would love to touch upon, the one thing that the book can do that the movie can't, yeah. even though the movie actually does do do this a little bit, and I'll, t- I'll talk about it in a second, um, but it gets inside Cujo's mind. Yes. Like there, there, there are whole sections of the book that are from Cujo's point of view. And what's fascinating about that, it, it isn't this evil bloodthirsty animal it's it's an animal that's hurt it's an animal that's dying and he views he's confused he views the humans as the source of his pain Mm -hmm. and feels like the only way to stop the pain is to uh stop the humans you know from making noise which is what's getting to him and um and you see you see as much as they could do on that uh in the movie um, you know, where he's reacting to like the dude, like dumping all the beer cans <laughs> and stuff. You can see he's annoyed and you can like, it's a, an oddly good dog performance where you see the dog miffed, but like also still has enough of his, his gentle self where he's not instantly going from, 
from happy dog to angry dog. Yeah. You know? When uh, when the when the boy that lives at the at the garage goes into the fog in the book, uh, that's when they get into his head and they start talking about how he thinks he might recognize that voice. Like you know what I mean? And that's when we right. first start realizing he's he's confused and and yeah, it was it was that's that's one of the elements of the book that was very powerful that they did their best with in the movie. You know, this is the the difference between a, a book and a movie. You know, you can have that internal life that the movie can't really get across. I mean, I guess in the movie you could have really gunned for it and then done like voiceovers for the dog, which would <laughs> a have Milo been, and like, Otis <laughs> approach. <to that. laughs> yeah, Dudley Moore is going to voice uh, Cujo, but uh, it, you know, it it absolutely would not work. So thankfully, <laughs> no they didn't do that. When I think about the book, that's what I think of first are the interior monologues of of the dog that is slowly going insane. And in particular, the way that the dog, um, he thinks of the man or the woman, and it's like all in caps, you know, or it's, the boy. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a clever uh, literary conceit to have it think in those basic terms. And I think about that shit all the fucking time. In fact, I was having that conversation a couple of months ago with someone like, what do you think like my dog thinks my name is like, what do you like? How do you think my dog thinks of me? And I was trying to sort of describe like how, what Cujo's interior monologue is, but it is an interesting idea because dogs have to have some sort of interior language or interior, I don't know, monologue, you know, where, what their thoughts are. And I, 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 I often wonder how my dogs think of me and, and the best, uh, I think King captured it. I think it's just the man, the woman, whatever in dog words that is <laughs> like, like I think that that's probably how they do it. And it's, it's fascinating to hear that shit. And I don't think you could capture that for the movie, but it's like one of my favorite things about the book. Mm -hmm. Another thing that's really interesting to kind of look at is that something that that's kind of taken for granted now is just how everything's interconnected in King's worlds he's got his own shared universe and, and uh, he's really doubled down on, on all that. I could be very wrong. And I'm sure that we'll have like real deal Stephen King experts show up here, but I think Cujo's the first time that happens in a major, major way um, because the character of Sheriff Bannerman uh, is the same Castle Rock uh, Sheriff that is in the dead zone, which preceded this book, the serial killer that uh, Johnny Smith finds in the dead zone. Uh, Frank Dodd is mentioned as as the local boogeyman, and uh, uh, Tad thinks that that he's the monster in his closet is Frank Dodd. Yeah, it, it's just interesting that you know th this is kind of the bridge between the dead zone and Cujo seems to be where King really starts embracing that interconnected universes thing. Well, uh, one of our listeners who is also uh, something of a Stephen King nerd and has written at length about it, a guy named by the name of Zach Dion, he sent me a link to a thing he'd written on a. Uh, decider.com about this book and this movie. And on that note, uh, the original director had co-written a script with Barbara Turner. You know, this followed in the wake of the script that King had originally written. And, you know, they weren't uh, crazy about that. And Turner and Medic had sort of decided that the monster in, in Ted's closet would be this ghost that then entered the rabbit that bit Cujo. And this got done away with by the subsequent co-screenwriter, which was uh, Don Carlos Dunaway. He thought that, like, if you have a, to quote, uh, if you have a perfectly set up rational explanation for the bad stuff, the supernatural stuff is redundant and distracting. I don't, I don't think I would like that 
approach to it. I like that it's just it's happenstance. You know, yeah. this well, happens yeah. and then this dog, happens dog and then get rabies. Do you, yeah. yeah. Do you think this might be a reach? But do you think there's any connection between uh, Stephen King using these underground caves at all, like in Desperation, uh, uh, in Cujo, in um, The Outsider, Outsider, yeah. the cave there? I mean, I, I the first thing I and thought it. Of, it the first yeah. thing I thought of when when that when there was the cave, the, the, the bones of the old animals and the bats and that. Like, the first right. thing I went to was Desperation. I was like, oh my god, is there? And then you know, and then I thought about the Outsider. That's the first thing I went to an Outsider was the, the Desperation. Yeah. The, and then, do you think there's any sort of connection? Or is that just a, is that a reach? It's definitely a cornerstone. It's definitely something he dips into from time to time. I don't know if there's any broader significance to it. I, I just think it's a cool, creepy thing to, to Every, touch on. Everything coming I think up it's on a, I think it's a, that's, this is another one of those things that, you know, we were talking earlier about the idea that King traffics in these sort of universal fears. I mentioned this on another episode of the show and, who knows what order these are airing in. But when I was a kid, there was a big, like huge sewer tunnel uh, in the neighborhood that I uh, lived in, like along a creek. Uh, We lived in an upper middle class neighborhood outside of Dallas. You know, so it was a very nice area. But down by the creek, if you went down there and explored, you would find this huge sewer tunnel and you could go miles back in this motherfucker. And we did a couple of times. I think that these ideas are Somewhat universal. I think kids explore. I think kids find caves. I think they find sewer tunnels. I think they find situations they're not supposed to be in. And they, you know, I think King is sort of playing on that in that uh, trope of Stephen King's bibliography, this idea of like dark, dank caverns or sewers. You know, these are these are definitely areas that kids fuck around in and. In instances where it's adults, I think it's sort of bringing those those memories to the surface. Yeah, I mean, that's also, my theory anyway. It could be. I, there's also just they're easy to get lost in, and and in most of the instances that he uses it in, it's uh, that fear is is at the forefront of you know somebody getting turned around and not knowing how to get out. If you go to the suburbs and there's like gutters, you know, in the street, yeah. we used to go to the local grocery store. Uh, by eggs and then we would go down to the sewer tunnel and crawl through the sewer tunnel and then like up one of those side tunnels into the gutters and throw eggs at cars and shit <laughs> it ruled <laughs> uh and and people got really mad <laughs> uh sorry if you're listening to this and you were one of those people that got egged blindsided by a sniper in a gutter but um you know that was rad as hell but there was always that Except worry. Except you're there. covered in shit and piss at the end of the day. No, there was no shit and piss. It was like a, it, drainage. This was all drainage, right. you know. So it wasn't it wasn't sewer pipes. Right. Um, there was algae and shit in there, and it was fucking terrifying. I think I, I think I would actually be more scared if I went down in one of those tunnels today than I did when I was a kid. You're a little bit more fearless as a kid because you don't have those, um, you know, you don't have the life experience that sort of shocks the fear into you. But those were good times. Yeah. Well, the the director that they ended up getting for the movie is uh, a great B-movie director named Louis Teague. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess he, my understanding is, is, and I think you touched on this, Scott, is that he took over a couple of days after a couple of days of shooting. Two days. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but he's he's just a great B-movie director. He did a, a movie called Alligator, and that's actually – it's an awesome movie with Robert Forster, uh, written by John Sayles. It's, it's a really fun giant alligator. It's a great – one of the best Jaws ripoffs. Um, but that's the movie that King saw that he recommended Teague for, and I actually found a quote 
uh, that he said about Louis Teague, and I love it. Uh, he says, quote, he, Teague, has absolutely no shame and no moral sense. He just wants to get you, and I relate to that. That's amazing. That's good. So Another yeah, fun Lu- fact about Alligator, actually, is that Quentin Tarantino, when he made Jackie Brown, he cast uh, Robert Forrester in the, in the role of uh, Max Cherry because he was such a fan of um, Alligator. And and believed that like his headcanon was that Max Cherry in Jackie Brown is basically the 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 older version of the same character from Alligator. That's a true story. Yeah. To drop a, a giant name here, I've watched Quentin Tarantino's print of Alligator with him at the draft house. Oh, wow. No so shit. That's I did. Yeah. No, he that dude that dude's not fucking around. He, his Alligator love is for real. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Did King like Cujo? I mean, at the, when it was finished, he I, loved it. He loved it. He did like it. Okay, good. He loved it. Yeah, he, he, like I think that he, keeping in mind that this was after The Shining right. had come out, and <laughs> uh, and he wasn't very fond of that one, and so he he I I think that this being very close to the book yeah. ingratiated himself a little bit to it. But yeah, he's not wrong in that. You know, it's a very effective movie. Mm-hmm. The the dog, you know, there's a few shots where you can see the dog's tail wagging, you know, and, and you if you know dog body language at all, you know that there's a few shots where he's trying where he's barking that they're trying to make him look intimidating and he's you can tell he's playful. Right. Um, there's a few of those in there. But for the most part, D. Wallace just turns in an amazing performance, you know, throughout this whole thing. She handles the melodrama well. She handles the terrified well. Uh, I think that I even saw an interview with her once where she's complimented. Uh, a lot by moms, you know, cause she has this moment where she screams at her kid, yeah. you know, in the car because he, you know, she's just fed up with it and, you know, there's nothing that she can do. And, and she just has this moment where she snaps on her own kid and, and like moms worldwide said, yep, I've been there. The only thing I, di- I, I, I agree with you. She, her performance was amazing. She was, she was a strong character. She wasn't like, you know, we saw in the shining, but the one thing, the one thing that I did notice was when the child wasn't doing so well, she kept shaking it. She kept, you know what I mean? It was like, I I don't, it wasn't, uh, I mean, that was just an eighties things to do, but, but, uh, there was a lot of shaking of the child when, wait, you're not supposed to shake children. That that was an eighties thing, I guess. Yeah. I was going to say that was the prime era of shake and bake, man. It's like, (laughs) we we just shook everything. Shook the child. We slapped the child across the face a couple of times. Come on. You're not doing so well. Slap, slap. I was like, ah, (laughs) I don't know. Hey, but I'm, I'm just saying it worked. It worked. It another worked. another interesting thing to note about this one is that they had multiple St. Bernards, but they also had multiple mechanical dogs. And then on top of that, they had another dog in a St. Bernard costume. And then if that's not enough for you, they also had a dude in a fucking St. Bernard costume. I've seen, and that, I think I've seen that picture of the dude with the, holding his Joe head. head. Yeah. Yeah. But what's wild is like when you're watching this movie and I, I rewatched it again last night. Uh, I watched it twice in the space of 48 hours and I went back and watched it again last night. And one of the reasons was I specifically wanted to like try to pick apart those shots. It's really hard to pick apart like what is real and what isn't. That's a level of talent and craft that is not easy to pull off. Yeah. That's really admirable. My big revelation on on revisiting Cujo, and I had not seen this movie like like Devin in a couple of decades, is how fucking good it is. It's really solid. Like this is a this is a genuinely great Stephen King adaptation for them to be working with a dog 
you know, in the middle of all this is not easy and that they pulled it off and that they used that many tricks to pull it off, I think is, is super admirable. It definitely stands well, it, the test of time for sure. And it, yeah. And there are those moments like that 360 shot in the car that it, it is way more artistic than, than uh, you expect from a, a killer dog movie from 1983. Right. For sure. You know, it's like, there are those moments because it's not just a really cool camera shot for cinephiles to geek out about, you know, but it, it really kind of shows the her world is, is, is yeah, the chaos of the world and, and the, her world spinning. And it's kind of like the, it reminds me in a weird way of the shot of, uh, of, uh, Dorothy and wizard of Oz, whenever the, you know, she's kind of like floating after she gets knocked out on her journey to Oz, mm. you know, it's like th- there's that weird, like sense of vertigo. You can almost get watching it that, uh, like really puts you in that headspace. Something else I want to bring up. I don't know if you guys remember, but about five years ago, they, tried to remake this movie really i heard Do you about guys remember that, that? the kuja and with the c period u period that shit yeah yeah the acronym kujo standing for canine unit joint operations <laughs> it was going to be it was going to be a remake with the hard sci-fi bent which sounds a lot more like man's best friend yeah for I don't real. Know if you guys ever saw that movie that's a yeah uh, that's a horrible idea i think <laughs> oh it was yes. god awful it, oh, yeah. it was uh, the, it was the same uh, production company that made the original and I guess one of the producers said, you know what? I'm going to write the script and I'm going to direct it because we still hold some rights to remake it or something. Right. And uh, uh, and he he tried, I guess, DJ Perry was going to star in it. I, I don't know. It, it, that is a very thankful that that movie never happened uh, scenario for me. It is kind of weird that they haven't remade it yet. Well, I think that one of the best things that has happened to King is is the fact that audiences now so into these you know streaming you know we're streaming things and we're we're doing we're making his books into you know like the outsider for instance made into an entire season even though they changed so much something like Cujo could be could be done in eight episodes where we we do every one of the stories and we stretch it out i mean maybe maybe you get a little tired you know after episode four of all the dog stuff but like it's it's one of the best things to have happened to to all these stephen king books is being able to make them into like these long seasons right do you know what i mean yeah well they didn't they didn't take this tract with uh hulu's castle rock but that would have been a very fascinating thing to do to adapt all this stuff where you can take all the castle rock stories and you know and then have some sort of consistency with the characters throughout Mm -hmm. you know and have you know all these side stories where there's a cujo you know, section and then there's a needful thing section and there's a stand by me section. You know, you could have all this stuff that happens within Castle Rock and his, uh, his books, a dead zone, you know, it's like the, the, that would have been a really interesting thing. Uh, the problem is, is that they probably just would have retread so much of it. So, it's, you know, even though I don't think the, the series is a hundred percent successful, at least they're trying to, to take different angles on a lot of the mythology of, of, uh, of Castle Rock. Right. Um, yeah, I'm sure that somebody's going to remake Cujo. That's just, it's it's too much of a, a of a simple sell. And you can get like a Brie Larson, or you can get you know somebody that's really big right now to to take that that uh, yeah. uh, Donna Trenton role, right? And then totally. with the uh, Lion King CGI technology they have nowadays, sure <laughs> that we we're going to get John uh, Favreau's Cujo. John Favreau. <laughs> I would watch Scarlett it. Johansson. I, I would like. To- I mean. I- I'd like to see John yeah. Favreau's Desperation, man. All the all the stuff in Desperation huh. now done to, in today's with today's technology. I think it's a, uh, that's right. uh, it's one of my favorite books, man. It's it's uh, I love Desperation. I want to see the fucking you know just uh, while we're talking Desperation. I I'd love to see the regulators 
Like that is the weirdest fucking shit. I, I like, didn't like regulators as much as desperation for some reason. I, don't know. I agree with you. I don't like regulators as much <laughs> as, as desperation, but I'd, I'd like to see someone take a stab at it. It's so bonkers. Yeah. The, the houses and all that stuff in the beginning of the, of the book is, is it, it's a great setup. Yeah, it is a great, it's, a, it's like a Coen brother action film. I, imagine if like, you know, you have the neighborhood from like Edward Scissor. That's exactly, you know, you nailed it. You nailed it. Yes. Yeah, so you have like the you know, so it's it's already like from the from the baseline, you're starting off as sort of a parody of, you know, the suburbs. Yeah, you know, that's that's sort of the underlying Tom Hanks the, of the whole thing. <laughs> yes, exactly. Regulator regulators is fucking crazy. It's basically about the mighty Morphin Power Rangers coming to life and yeah. just laying the waste to a to an entire neighborhood. Like it's bonkers. It's like I'd, I'd like you to know- see try see someone try it. I was going to say, you know, you know how it, how it uh, originated, right? That it was originally a an original script that King wrote for Sam. No, Peckinpah I didn't know that. that. Sam Peckinpah was going to make it, and then Peckinpah died, and Peckinpah. It was that far back that he wrote it. Yeah, Jesus Christ! Yeah, this is like early eighties. Yeah, <laughs> oh my and uh, God. It, it was it was a the script was called the Shotgunners. I I'm desperate to read it. I, oh. I've tracked down a copy. I've tracked down yeah. a copy of it, and I it, it's in amongst a bunch of King's. Uh, papers that, that he donated to a museum and original manuscripts and shit but you Wait, have to you get have a like copy four. of the shotgunners no i've tracked down a copy of it i know where it is but in order to access it you have to get multiple levels of approval and i was able to get approval from the university it was donated to uh but then you have to get approval on top of that from king's uh from king himself i guess and that got shot down like instantly so we gotta get our so, hands on that we gotta stage a live reading of that fucking script that would be wild as hell. Yeah. Can you imagine a Stephen King written Sam Peckinpah fucking I early 80s movie? Yeah. Devin, why do you like uh, Desperation so much? I don't know. It's just it just reminded me of of like Raising Arizona style. I just it was mm. just it just had that Cohen brother feel that that it was just so wild and the guys falling apart and the, the coyote. Yeah. It just was it was just such a fun read. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um it is. It's the more fun read than regulators, I think. Yeah. Well, regulators, I loved for sure. the first 150 pages, 200 pages. I was all, I was all in. I was like, oh my god, this is great. And then it just kind of slowly started falling apart, and I was just like, yeah, I'm done. Uh, it kind of goes up its ass, uh, up its own ass by by the end of it. Yeah. You know, like, and I don't, I don't like the ending at all. But that's just one of those things. Like, I want to see someone bring that to life. James Wan's doing the Tommy Knockers again. You know, so nothing is out of the question. Isn't he, you know what I mean? Like, is, yeah. Isn't he also doing, who's doing the long, the long, the long walk is also one of my favorite ones. And they're doing that. at uh, New York, Andre Overdahl. I've talked to that guy a few times. He's, he's a good dude. And apparently they're just waiting until they can go into production on oh, it. That's great, man. That's I saw great. him talking about it on Twitter the other day. Such a great book. Indeed. So I guess my final question is, would either of y'all, would either of y'all be put off by owning a St. Bernard after reading or watching Cujo? No, I don't think so. I, I don't think so. Yeah, uh, me neither. No one wants to own a dog that big. In first of all, I mean, yep. just my situation in Calabasas, where you know, four or five months of the year, it's a hundred degrees plus here. I wouldn't want the dog. But other other than that, I, you know, it's, it's, I think they they really sold me on a, it. Was bitten by a bat with rabies, and we it doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> so, but they're apparently very gentle dogs. Yeah, they're very nice. Yeah, and loyal. I, I, yeah, I wouldn't be opposed to a Saint Bernard because I think. 
you know, he's going to get mad and attack me. I, I'm just not a big dog fan. Yeah. You know, like Great Danes, no thank you. Like, I I don't need a horse in my house. Yeah. You know, it's... Uh, exactly. Uh, but at the same time, I'm also not a huge uh, rat dog fan either. So, like, I, I think that medium sized dogs are are pretty much where where they're at. I have a basket. Like beagles, maybe hound. the smallest. Love basset hounds. Yeah. What's his name? Uh, Stella. Her. Her name. Stella. Excuse me. Stella. <laughs> I like to I like to yell out. Ste- <laughs> Stella. Yep. Uh, Stella is the name of my older cat too. There you, there you go. There you go. We have a we have a dog named uh, Mad Max. Oh, cool. Who is a uh, Australian cattle herd dog mixed with something else. We have no idea what it is. He's 90 pounds. He's very large. He is the dumbest living life form I've ever met in my life. That's amazing. But, but he is well-meaning. He scares people when they come over sometimes because he's, he's very loud. If he gets, uh, excuse me, if he, uh, oh. if he's, <laughs> should if I he's, keep that in? Yeah. Yeah. Keep it in. Uh, if he starts barking, like it's, it's pretty intimidating if you don't know this dog, but this, this dog, uh, wouldn't hurt anyone, you know, with a gun to its head. And I'd like, I'd like to have a St. Bernard were it not for the fact that Mad Max is, uh, he sleeps in the bed sometimes with me and my wife and, uh, just try to go to bed with you or your loved one with a 90 pound being in the bed with you. It's like having a fucking, you know, uh, a ninth grader uh, in the bed with you. It's like he's fucking huge and he doesn't understand the space he takes up. So, you know, Conan, who is, you know, like eight pounds or 10 pounds or whatever the fuck he is. He's very small. uh, It's fine to like curl up under my arm while we're sleeping. But Mad Max, he thinks he's the same size as Conan. So he'll crawl up like. He's crawled up on the pillows, you know, many times. And you'll wake up like with this giant being's head on top of you. His skull is as big as mine. And uh, that is unpleasant. Also, I woke up one time and uh, he was positioned in such a way on the pillows where I like rolled over and suddenly had a dog's dick right in my face, (laughs) which is I, I can promise you is the most unpleasant way to wake up. It's amazing. It was amazing. <laughs> I'm like waking up. That is the perfect dick. word. <laughs> There's no mistaking a dog's dick. If you fucking roll over <laughs> and you have a flaccid dog dick slapping <laughs> you in the face, you're going to know it like immediately. Like there's no, what is that? There's no, like the pillow is like creeping up on me. No, that's a dick. <laughs> yeah. Well, you said that's the worst way. I think the that's the second worst way. The the other worst way to wake up would be to have a red rocket in your face. So. That's true. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Dogs are <erectic>. I <laughs> I didn't investigate at the time. I just knew, like, you know, I, I wasn't sure what stage the dick was at. I you just knew. Up like, in a flash. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. I don't think I went back to bed that night. That was wild times. Well, on that note, I think it's probably time to, to wrap this up. <laughs> Uh, we, we didn't get into, uh, we had a bonus episode on our Patreon about Stephen King boners. And thankfully there isn't a red rocket for Cujo to, <laughs> to throw in there. Yes. So, uh, Devin, where can people find you? What, is there anything you got to plug? Um, uh, I am not plugging anything right now. Um, because the country's shut down and so we know nothing about nothing, but I'm on Twitter at <laughs> Devin E. Sawa. Um, that's, that's it, man. I'm curious. Are you like reading scripts? Like what are, what are people in your line of work doing right now? So I was about to shoot a movie in Bali of all places when this all started happening. Um, that's on hold. There's uh 
There's a couple of other ones that are, I, I, I there's another one that's supposed to go in September, but I don't buy it. And I'm very excited mm-hmm. about it because it's, it's a, uh, it's a horror, but more like idle hands. Um, I haven't done comedy in a long time, but this one, this one, uh, really spoke to me. It's, it's called black Friday and it takes place on black Friday, but instead of the, uh, shoppers, they're, they're like these zombie bird things, but it's, it's all, you know, you know, it's got that desperation <laughs> right feel. And it's nice. just like, and I'm like this 40 year old man that works in a toy store and it's really cool, but I don't know when it's going to go. Um, we're just kind of sitting around waiting. And so, yeah, you know, scripts come in and, and you don't know what to think. Cause you know, are you sweating it right now? Like, are you like, what is your mindset with everything shut down? I, I would like to work. I, my, my, uh, I, I would like to be creative on something. It's, it's difficult the kids and stuff like that. I'm, I'm a big believer that we got to figure out how to, how we, you know, how we do this thing. We got to start wearing the mask. We got to start listening to people. We got to come together. I want to work, but I don't want, I don't want to work if we're not, if, if we're, you know, if people are going to get sick and die and all that stuff. So, you know, right. I'm doing it. I'm doing it for the, for the, for the people, you know, for everybody else. Um, yeah, but, right on. but man, right I, on. but man, I want to work. I really, really, really want to work. I just want to start getting creative again. Yeah. I imagine I'd be itching if I were you. Yeah, but then you wouldn't have all this time to read the other seventy-five uh, Stephen King books. You know what? I you, in between, like, I get a lot more reading done when I'm at work. Like the last movie I did just before this thing happened, I think I read five books in the three weeks that I was there, and there were, three of them were McCormick books. So, oh, nice. yeah, it was. Uh, you get a lot of downtime between shots, and you know, in the weekends, you don't, you know, you don't have your family with you, so you got, you know, whatever. Unless you want to go out and be productive. Um, but, uh, <laughs> oh, Dev, uh, Devin, I, I need to tell you a, a quick story. You know, I, I talked earlier about how we set up this movie theater in our backyard. My wife had someone over last night, a friend of hers. I went out there to sort of just say hi at one point. She was asking about the show or we were talking about the show or the, the show came up somehow. Oh, I know what it was. I was like, yeah, I got to rewatch Cujo. You know, that's why I'm not out here watching this movie with y'all. Then we got talking about the show. And then I mentioned you were going to be on the show. Mm. And uh, she's like, oh, yeah, I saw he's been reading Cujo lately. And I was like, how the fuck do you know that? And it turns out uh, she follows you on Twitter. And she said that, yes, she had all your pictures up when she was in sixth grade. I was like, I've seen I've seen a bit of that from uh, from Devin on his from his retweets, is it weird to have this volume of people, ladies uh, in general, who had Tiger Beat pictures of you up when you were younger? Is that weird? It's a what little, is that like? It's a little weird. It's very flattering. It's uh, you know, it, sure. it, there was a point in my life where I hated it. You know, when I was when I, I you know in my teen years, I was doing all those magazines, and it wasn't well. I didn't have a lot of choice. You know, you you do you do Casper, and all of a sudden Universal's flying into New York, and you're doing all these. You know, it's it's kind of you're kind of pushed into it. And, and, and so by the time I hit, you know, 1920, I wanted to be an artist, you know, I didn't want to be a teen beat sure. kid and, and whatever. So I hated it for, for many years. And I tried to do whatever I could, like the SLC punks and the stands and the, and the idle hands, whatever I could to get away from that image and, and whatever. And then as I get older, I, I embrace it again and I love it again. And I'm glad that people, are still around and and that they followed me and that they had those pictures and they supported me and you know I just I'm a big believer that that everything that I did got me to where I am and I'm very happy where I am. So well, there's 
There's nothing to be embarrassed about, man. In the mid to late nineties, we all had the middle part going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I, I saw yeah. I grew my hair out for this last project. I grew my hair out because they wanted, you know, I had the beard and I was, you know, playing this mechanic, whatever. And I, I had my hair long enough where I could do the middle part again. And I tried it and it just doesn't work anymore. It, it, it <laughs> just, just looked silly. I, I should have, I don't know why I didn't take a picture, but it looked absolutely silly. And there's an age limit on the middle part. I guess so. I think for sure. Yeah, I guess you know, it's like it's, once you hit about twenty twenty one, you got to knock that shit off, yeah. or it just gets weird. Yeah, hundred percent. Thanks for having yeah. me, guys. Hopefully one day, uh, hopefully one day, I'll be able to come and do another book. Yeah, totally. In the future, I, I really like the show. And that was our episode on Cujo. Many thanks to Devin Sawa for joining us, and uh, and I don't regret using the phrase "revenge sperm," which. Uh, uh, is apt if you've seen the, or not seen the movie. It's apt if you've seen the book. <laughs> yeah, yes. It's apt if you've read the book. That's what I need to say. Somewhere in there, if you've read the book, if you've seen the book, if you thought about the book, if you've touched the book, you know what he's talking about. If you enjoyed the episode on Cujo, uh, boy, howdy, do we have a, an awesome uh, follow-up on Patreon uh, hitting yep. this Friday. We've got D Wallace on the line. Yeah, no, she she came fully prepared. She's very proud of her work in that movie, as she should be. It's it's badass. You know, we talk a lot about the Frighteners. We talk a lot about E.T. and we talk a lot about Howling, you know, but all of it's couched around, you know, of course, Cujo. And uh, she's a great interview. She was totally game. Uh, it, it's a real fun one. And next week, we have an episode coming out that I am super duper excited for people to hear. It's one of my favorites that we have ever recorded. We are speaking to a filmmaker who's just a real character. He managed to pick a title that we're very excited to kind of go in depth with him on. And that is Creepshow. Very specifically, the lonesome death of Jordy Verrill is the focus. If you can say that this episode has a focus, one of the beautiful things about it is that we kind of use Creepshow as a launching pad to talk about... Lovecraft and Stephen mm-hmm. King and the influences of Lovecraft on Stephen King uh, with somebody who might know a thing or two about it. I think it's a really great episode. I think it's especially uh, a great episode to kick off October, the Halloween month. Oh, yeah. Are you going to trick or treat this year? Like not necessarily go house to house, but are you going to hand out candy to kids or are you, you booting them right off your porch? Uh, I was planning on, on, uh, you know, luring the kids inside and, and, uh, eating them like a witch in a Grimm's fairy tale. So just like any other, any other year than I imagine. I saw a picture (laughs) online. Somebody had like a candy shoot. It looked like a, uh, like a water slide. (laughs) I saw one of like, (laughs) it was was like a skeleton blowing like the Ricola horn. Yeah. It kind of, what I saw kind of looked like that. Was it orange? Yeah, it was very Halloweeny, and the idea was that you put the little bite-sized candy in one end, and it like makes a <laughs> a distance travel to the child on the other. Um, I don't know if I'd do that, but uh, I trick or treating is a big deal around here. If if the city of Austin deems it safe, uh, I will wear a mask and give out candy to whatever kids. Not in this household. I am paranoid. I do not want any. <laughs> Disease-ridden children near me, and um, I will be wearing a biohazard suit on the night just in case. But the the bottom line here is that October is going to rule. That's what we're trying to say, I think. For sure. In, in, in the course of all this chatter about eating children and candy shoots. 
If you are not already signed up, please go to patreon.com backslash the Kingcast. If you go there now, you will unlock a ton of bonus content. All righty. Well, we'll see you all next week.